What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Marin with another episode of the Marin Ham Show. And today's guest, we have a legend. He's been doing this for quite a while to the point where he is a complete 100% referral of a law- entertainment lawyer. <laughs> uh, Matt Buser, how are you, Matt? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of this. How's your day going so far? So far, so good. No, uh, no fires yet. <laughs> no fire, exactly. <laughs> now, for those that aren't too familiar, who is Matt Buser? Give us where you grew up and everything. Give us that. Sure, sure. So I was born in Athens, Georgia. And I say that because I'm a diehard Bulldog fan and I want to shout <laughs> them out for winning the national championship yet yes. again. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then when I was three, I moved to Decatur and grew up there in my younger years and then went to uh, moved to Roswell um, later on in life and went to high school at Roswell High School, attended University of Georgia for undergraduate, again, go dogs, and yeah. then went to uh, University of Miami for law school from 2008 to 2011. Oh, snap. So you've lived the life pretty much. <laughs> I mean, uh, I like my cities, you know, now yeah. you know, I spend a lot of time in New York, LA, Miami and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was going to say you're, you're probably more used to the city than the suburbs. Definitely, definitely. But I love the suburbs. Nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong. With some peace and quiet. Uh, right. Actually, that's where my wife and I are currently residing most of the time um, is in Santa Barbara. So we love mm-hmm. we love the peace and quiet up here. Yeah, I mean, the older you get, the more peace and quiet you want. You don't want that hustling and bustling because it's like you've done that already before. So it's like now it's time to experience the peace and quiet. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but now what about like growing up? Obviously, you moved from city to city. What inspired you growing up? Whether it was inter- whether it was entertainment, your people in your life, what inspired you growing up? Um, I mean, my I come I come from a music background playing and my you know my parents put me in piano lessons super young and and um and then I was a drummer in the middle school band and and then um picked up guitar when I was a freshman in high school and started playing in little bands with friends then and mm-hmm. and that's actually right around when I was 15 when I decided uh, cause I was like, I can manage us. And you know, my bandmates were like, no, you can't, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't. <laughs> so, so I didn't. Um, but at that time I was like, okay, I really love being a part of the music business. Um, I don't know if I'm going to cut it as a performer, as a creative, right. <laughs> but I think I can carve myself a niche in the, in the business side. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an agent or a lawyer or a manager. And frankly, I didn't really understand the difference probably at that time. I don't, I don't recall, but I knew I wanted to do that. So, um, that's, that's, you know, having the music background and my parents playing super eclectic taste music all the time. It will go from Vivaldi to, uh, you know, Aretha to mm-hmm. Bob Dylan to uh, whatever else, you know, um, The Doors. And so a, a very eclectic, um, you know, taste across the board. And that that just inspired me to really like, you know, grow up musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and it's completely different from a performer to working behind the scenes. You know, it's, that's a, those are totally two different jobs. You know what I mean? That's managing, right. managing, and managing an artist, and it's it's a lot more uh, detailed when you're a manager or a lawyer. Or it's a lot more intricate parts to it. So you, but expand a little bit on that. Like, how did the how did the what made you just want to get into law specifically? Yeah, I mean. My my father's a lawyer. Uh, ah. He does commercial real estate, but actually, he kind of encouraged me not to be a lawyer mm-hmm. most of my life because you know he was working at the big firms and doing the forty hour billable hour weeks, and and you know because of that, 
wasn't always able to be there Monday through Friday as much as he would have liked. And, you know, so he kind of warned us that my sister and I against that. I've got a little sister who is uh, just the brainiac of the family, by the way, mm-hmm. we'll talk about her later, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but we, um, yeah, so I, that wasn't actually the reason. I, I don't know why I, I just, I think I like to, I like to talk and I like to argue and I like to write and read. And so <laughs> it was a, it was a good fit. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, yeah, and especially with especially being an entertainment lawyer, which is completely different from a criminal lawyer. You guys have to go. Is, is it that? Is it is it a lot more intricate, or is it like less intricate than a criminal lawyer? So I don't. I wouldn't say that one field of law is more intricate than another. Um, right. I think that they all have some formula to a degree in certain mm-hmm. aspects, but that each one has its own specialization and you know when you graduate law school you don't specialize in criminal law in law school i mean sure you could take some extra crim classes right right? but and you don't specialize in entertainment or music law and sure you could take some extra classes but you get out with a law degree so you can practice any field Ah. um and so you know it's really where your passion resides and where you your heart takes you in my opinion or at least for me in my circumstance Okay, and what and what what's better to understand uh, what what you get better understanding of, which is music for you? Yeah, well. I mean, I actually did some high profile criminal defense uh, right out of law school and mm-hmm. interning during law school for a real top attorney down there named Christopher Lyons, and we met actually because I invited him to come speak because he was working on. Uh, a couple very prominent cases in South Florida and Miami. And so I invited him out as president of the Entertainment and Sports Law Society mm. at University of Miami. So we would host speakers to come and talk to my classmates and me. And so I had him come speak at one point and then we just hit it off and I actually started doing some work for him. Mm. And then there you go. That's got to start somewhere, right? That, I mean, that's how you get started in this is, you know, yeah. you can be you can be the smartest guy in the room, but unless somebody knows you, uh, this this business is tough. Like uh, unless yeah. you work in the back behind the scenes at a big firm that already has business in order to get business, you have to be known. It's a very yeah. relationship, you of know, um, uh, you know, reputation based mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not what you know, it's who you know at the end of the day. It's what it comes down to as, as cliche as that may be. That's what it actually comes down to and how you nurture those relationships. Exactly. Exactly yes, right. Yeah. Um, now, as an entertainment lawyer, you practice, your practice covers 80% music or 85%. Is it 80 or 85? I'm not. I yeah, it's something around there. I mean, it, it switches. Like some days it's, some right. days it's 100% <laughs> music stuff, you know? Like, right. And then, which is fun for me because I, I don't like monotony. So that, that always keeps me on my toes. But yeah, it's it's about 80, 80%. I like to say 80% because it gives a – it's and that's rough. But it gives a little bit right. more wiggle room for all the other stuff that I do, mm-hmm. which is which is relatively significant. Mm-hmm. And each uh, – obviously, there's different lawyers for different aspects of, of the music part. What, what do you deal with per se? What is your main sure. focus point? Yeah, well, I'm 100% transactional. Um, and so that's any kind of contracting, but I also handle all their corporate formation and governance mm-hmm. and investor relations and any kind of partner relations. And um, and then I'm very big on brand protection. So I do a lot of federal United States trademark work mm-hmm. as well. So, okay. you know, any of their contracts and any of their brand protection and corporate entity structuring is what I really focus on. Now, things artists uh, artists should look for when building a team or building a brand and then signing a contract with a label. What are some things they should look out for and watch out for? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> how long do we have, right? Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I always 
I, instead of talking about red flags, I'm going to kind of shift it slightly. Right. I think that when artists are thinking about doing a new deal, and I'm going to start with artists because that applies to a lot of individuals, right? And so when artists are considering doing a deal with somebody, it all starts with what the artist wants, you know, and, mm -hmm. and within reason. The artist needs to educate him or herself, and I'm very big advocate on education, and, and I kind of force feed my clients education uh, so that they understand this stuff better. But if you, you know, if you have an idea of what you want, then walking into every deal negotiation is going to be a lot easier. You're not going to waste a bunch of time entertaining mm -hmm. deals that are super far out of left field. So, for right. instance for artist a a red flag might be that you know oh this company is trying to own my master recordings right, right? but artist b may be totally fine with that and that's not a red flag and that's not a sticking mm -hmm. point so okay. for the case of artist a artist a's little wish list so to say that they mm -hmm. should send when they're soliciting deals would be i only want to do a licensing model and right. because right. of that they should target probably more the distribution companies versus the major record labels that have a more traditional structure. So it would be more like TuneCore, the distributing, sort of like TuneCore masters. Well, TuneCore, TuneCore, I mean, yes and no, um, TuneCore is great, okay? Um, and they and same with DistroKid, they, they definitely get the job done. Right. I was more talking about if, you know, if you go to someplace like an empire, shout out to my guy Ghazi and Mike yeah. Gallagher. If you go to, <laughs> you know, Foundation, shout out Lee and JJ and Chris, like these companies I work with constantly because there's there's a real human behind the scenes. You know, a lot of the people that are releasing through TuneCore, and I, I would love to know what the stats are these days with the amount of music that comes out every day. You may mm -hmm. know that. I don't, I don't know off the top, but oh, most people are going through a distro kit in TuneCore because there's no barrier to access there, right? You just right. go sign up for an account and put your music up there. Put you pay it. the fee, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. With Foundation and Empire, for example, you know, I do a lot of work with those companies and many of the other distribution companies and, and definitely not, you know, like throwing shade at anybody else by not mentioning them. But the, those two distribution companies, you actually deal with real humans. Like you deal with a person that is associated with your account, that's your A&R or your mm -hmm. admin contact. And that helps you build a relationship with them. And the goal being that, hey, we may start off with a very small deal that as far as funding, because the company doesn't want to accept too much risk. But you own your content, okay? You're licensing it. A lot of times you can mm -hmm. move pretty freely with it after a couple of years or, or even sooner. Right. And, and then if you show success, a lot of these companies will approach you and say, hey, we just had our weekly meeting looking at who's doing well in our system. And that's right. you, artist. And we would like to throw some gas on this fire. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't happen at a TuneCore or DistroKid. No, it doesn't. I can I can for sure say that because I I do music as well and I released oh nice a bunch I released like uh was I released a single through TuneCore and I'm very well in tune with how TuneCore works and then I I took it and then I did the ASCAP situation with it right and, and all of that so it's a lot but there's no you have to reach out to customer service and that's that that may take a couple of days to for them to answer sometimes sometimes a couple of weeks so it's like you don't have that like you said that direct line like you have with Empire. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's the more, you know, I guess the more, you know, the, the more you study always. it, then it's, it's always, I mean, I tell people that the music business can be really fun and, and there's right. a lot of perks to it and it's sexy and it's, you know, interesting and unique. 
but at the end of the day, if you want this to be your career, then it is the music business. And you really have mm-hmm. to put in the time to learn the materials so that, you know, you're better educated walking into every room. And it'll also help you avoid a lot of frustration. You know, I mean, like uh, if if a producer is continually getting frustrated because his invoices are always rejected by a label, then it's probably because the producer doesn't fully understand and hasn't spent the time to look into how the label pays out and what the requirements are for mm-hmm. paying invoices. You know, you got to get registered as a vendor and then you right. got to submit your W-9 and then you got to submit an invoice with a PO on it and the correct date and a different invoice number than the last time. And the payee needs to match the right. name that's on the contract. And mm-hmm. these are all these things that are are basics, but you got to you got to learn and study it a little bit so that you avoid that delay and frustration as a result. Mm-hmm. How would you counsel a, a, an entertainer who is considering a major career change? How would you counsel that? Uh, a major career change out of entertainment? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would really depend on the circumstance, but uh a lot of my clients delve into other industry outside of entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. My very, I have a lot of entrepreneurial clients. So, I mean, it's really, it's a lot of these people that I work with, I'm blessed and grateful to say that and proud to say that they, they can do anything. Really, mm-hmm. they can do mm-hmm. anything that they, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, the old saying, but they can do anything that they put their mind to. And mm-hmm. so it's not even about, you know, if they want to get into something different, you know, I'll give you an example. One of my clients like wanted to invest in shipping trucks because he was seeing, you know, that, Hey, there's some passive income here. And sure enough, he bought some shipping trucks and he's a music producer. And now he's got, you know, 40 or 50 K residual passive mailbox money every month, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just like, if you learn that space too, and you put your time and attention into it full fledged, like you should, then, you know, I, most of my clients can, could go anywhere. Oh, yeah, I mean, because a lot of like you see like a person like like Jay, for example, his music is not his main lucrative business. You know, he's got different. And when you look at his stats, it's like he's got real estate that makes more money than his music. He's got his alcohol beverages. So it's a different sectors that you can tap into that can because sometimes people are like, oh, music isn't making enough. Well, there's a whole other markets out there that you can tap into. And it's a matter of learning that market very well to kind of generate what you need, what you need out of it. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it's definitely one of those. Now, protecting an artist versus a brand. Expound a little yeah. bit on the differences and the similarities to it. So I'm going to start with the similarities. I mean, I see every artist as a brand. I look at every artist as a company. Right. And so I, the differences are going to be that, you know, perhaps there's fewer cooks in the kitchen, you know, like with a mm-hmm. company, there could be multiple partners that all have a say or have a voting right on major decisions. Whereas if you're just representing an artist who, you know, most every artist should have their own corporate entity set up. But some most of the times, uh, if it's a furnishing company, it's just solo owned, right? And so I just deal with the artist. So like approvals and and the protocol and chain of command is probably the biggest difference, I would say. But overall, I find it very similar. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing because even like when they uh, when you do like the like the bundle situation, for example, when an artist puts out an album and they do it with a bundle, they're they're automatically dealing with a brand. You know what I mean? Like, for example, if if I were to put an album out and I'd I'd have like a deal with Mountain Dew, 
you right. know, they can, so it's kind of, they kind of coexist together in the same way as well. Yeah. I do a lot of brand deals, you know I mean? It's interesting because, you know, a lot of these brand deals these days are very social media centric right. as far as, mm-hmm. you know, the artist deliverables and, um, but the, those extend to, to social plat, like social handles that aren't necessarily human, you know, that are like, mm-hmm. it's not tied to a specific human, I should say, right. it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, um, you know, um, like I've my my friends who run like Highlight Hub, you know, which is a sports based Instagram handle. Like mm-hmm. you know, that's they get sponsorship and endorsement and brand deals because of their notoriety. Right, exactly. Numbers are numbers are everything for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> especially yeah. nowadays. Especially nowadays, like well, you know, I mean, it's smart. It's smart. You want to you want to you want to engage with a with a with a particular talent or handle that that already has a reach so that there's some built-in marketing, you know? Mark, exactly. And it makes the job easier for everyone else around it. Right. Exactly. exactly. Right. Uh, now you also cover many different industries besides music, such as tech, the cannabis industry, NFT. How are they similar to one another as far as like the law aspect of it? And what is something you have learned from each of them that you still apply today? Hmm. Um, I mean, the the law is different in all of them. So I don't really mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of intellectual property though, like that that crosses over. If if anything crosses over like basic contract principles, you know, and the quote unquote bo- boilerplate in contracts, that appears in every deal. Right. Um, and then also the intellectual property considerations for trademark, copyright, and patent. Um, so those would be crossovers. Um, for me for these other industries, my crossover and main connection is the clientele. Okay. It is those clients that are musicians and also are cannabis professionals. Okay. For instance, my client and good friend, Steve Lobel, who you should mm-hmm. also have on your show. He's yes. I mean, I've, I've met Steve Lobel twice and yeah. I've actually interacted with him and I've been trying to have him on the show, but it's like, he's always so busy. Oh, he's he slammed. He's in New York right now visiting his father. He just turned mm-hmm. 90. I mean, it's just all all blessings in his life. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing, but I'm super proud to know him and and um and work for him. But he's a perfect example of of he walks in both industries of music and cannabis. Yep. So and and wellness and mental health as well. So so seamlessly. So um that that is my tie when it comes to it's Steve, you know, he's, he's the cornerstone of that, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the law differs aside from like a couple of those things and, um, and what I've learned from each of these is, is really different. I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is how to approach my audience in each Mm -hmm. industry so that I can better connect with my clientele. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Weedworks. Weedworks. Shout out to Weedworking and and yep, Weedworking Wellness coming soon and a lot of a lot of exciting things. Yeah, yeah. And shout out to Steve for for he's been in the game for oof, can't even like 85, 86. So he's been in the game yeah. for so long and he's he's connected so many dots and it's so it's 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 good to see somebody like that still relevant but working behind the scenes you know and that's what i appreciate the most is people like that that are just like behind the scenes doing their thing because without without the people behind the scenes nothing moves in the front exactly so but now music has changed a lot obviously throughout the years when we went from like you know records to cds to cassettes to now we're streaming how much of that has has affected the way you approach it as an entertainment lawyer or is it the same kind of approach 
No, I mean, it's really different. It's, mm-hmm. it's awesomely different. Uh, you know, I mean, the different configurations lead to different um, income streams and also different rates of income streams right. and understanding that and different collection principles and different societies that have to be involved in various territories in order to collect properly. It's really, really an interesting, it's really an interesting thing. And as we like start or continue diving deeper into web three, you know, we're going to see even more ways of exploiting content mm-hmm. and, and monetizing content. So um, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really, really cool. And then also you see like, like with fashion that things come back around and, you know, Taylor Swift just broke some recent record for vinyls. I mean, she breaks every fucking, or excuse me, every record, <laughs> but, but, but she broke a record for vinyl sales recently. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see it you know, the, the, the reemergence of that. And, right. you know, I personally have a really nice vinyl collection that I've been building and, you know, my parents do and my wife's parents do. And so, you know, it's, it's cool to see that coming back. Mm-hmm. And even Swiss beats just released a, a vinyl and it's, you can't find it anything. I, and I bought it too. And there's like limited of it. Like there's like 500 of them and, and oh, all wow. over. And then there's a painting of it, which is like, maybe 50 or 70 of those. So it's like he created like a limited edition. He collaborated with like an artist. I think he might've been a painter or something like that. And I bought the vinyl because I was like, this is going to be worth something, but it's only in vinyl. You're not going to find it in any streaming. It's a jazz album. It's a jazz nice. vinyl. Very good. You got to You got to send me an email about that. Cause I want to, I want to check that out. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll leave it. I'll, I'll send a photo as well for it. I'll, and, 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 so can, and then, but it's, so it's, it's, it's I love that if vinyl is coming back in such a classier way than it has right. before. You know what I mean? It's like if Absolutely. you get the, if you get this now, it's going to be worth something later on. You know what I mean? And there's not that right. many copies. Yeah. So I just I just love the aspect of vinyls coming back in that way. And it's a good way for the new generation to be like, oh, this is what my grandpa used to listen to. This is what my great granddad used to listen to. It also, you know, you know what's really cool about it to me too is that the process of of taking it out of the sleeve and out of the protective cover and then mm-hmm. placing it on the machine and then you know turning it on and then moving the needle over delicately to the right track, yeah, and, um, and like that whole process and and that and that it's easier for you to listen cover to cover versus trying to find specific tracks and and that's that's a really cool thing because it 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 reminds us of the artist's purpose behind releasing this body of work. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, it it focuses or refocuses our attention back on the artwork and the liner right. notes and the creators behind it. Because, you know, I represent so many producers and songwriters and, you know, sure, they get credited, but, um, you know, only, you you see only, only this year do we have the first Grammy award for top songwriter. I mean, it's been a yeah. long time coming and shout to, you know, my friends, um, at Sona. I don't know if you're familiar with Sona, but Dina Lapolt is like their head legal counsel. I think I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Who's an amazing, an amazing attorney who I'm blessed to deal with her office quite often. And, um, a bunch of other really fantastic people mm-hmm. over there at Sona who are just fighting for songwriters' rights. So anyway, I, I, I go off <laughs> on tangents because I'm super passionate about this. But right, of course. Point, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but the point is I, I really like to look at the liner notes and like look at the artwork and look at the full design because mm-hmm. this this piece, this this piece of art was a, a meant to be co- aggregate project. You know, it wasn't meant to be broken down in singles at that time. It was and for you to download and that's it. Right, no yeah. artwork. It was meant for you to like 
feel this and open mm-hmm. this and read the liner notes and see the hidden artwork. And like, you know, I have a cool Pink Floyd album that has like a, uh, like a dial on it that you turn it and the, the nice. whole cover album changes, you know, or Led Zeppelin actually. But anyway, so I, I really like that aspect of it too. Yeah. I see. I frame my vinyls. Oh, nice. Yeah. So does my sister and my dad, but I've got too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I still haven't opened up the Swiss one. Like it's still in the, in the plastic. Like I'm just like, I want to, you might have to, you might have to see if you can download the audio and just not. No, it's only, it's it's only vinyl. That's, that's the beauty. It's only vinyl. Like you're not going to have to do it, man. I know. That's why I'm like, I don't, I want to listen to it so bad, but I'm just like, it's, it just looks so beautiful. You got to do it. Swiss, Swiss would want to want you to do it. (laughs) Right. It's like, look at this little baby. It's like, and I cherish it. Like I put it on top of the, I I haven't framed it yet. So I'm like, I'm not, I need to open this. Cause I have like Curtis uh, Mayfield. I have like, uh, what is it? Um, Clinton. George Clinton. I oh, have yeah. like Donna Summers. I have even the oh what my is God. George Clinton. What is par- Parliament? Right? Yeah, the Parliament yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, I have right. the Donna Summers album. I have I have like I, I can't even name them right now, but I have like um the oh my God, oh my God, the one where what's her name? Why am I blinking right now? Diana Ross is from the Supremes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have you know, so it's like. I also have Miles Davis, so it's like, but they're all framed. You know, Lana Del Rey's album cover, which is the, which is like the blue background, and she's in the front. I have that. Right. I'm just, I, I love album covers, so I'm like, yeah, no, it's very cool stuff. It's yeah, very so cool it's stuff. like, I'm, I'm gonna open this, or should I just leave it in there? But, I, but, but those albums, you can listen to them on like DSPs, so you don't right. have to necessarily open them. But with this one, with the Swiss one, it's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's to. that's fun. It's like a fight. It's like a fight I'm having with it. Uh, it's but. Right. So well, you know, you could open it, listen to it, and then get one of those uh those like shrink wrappers and yeah. and, and, and just put a new plastic just on it. it. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, right. No, outside of everything that you do, what are some hobbies you'd like to do? Well, so I still play music a lot, right? You know? Um, so uh a lot of I'm I'm sitting right next to my keyboard, electric keyboard and my guitars, and and so I really like to do that. And then I, I love to be outside. I'm I'm doing my best to to be in the gym. My wife is super active. So she's mm. inspiring me constantly to be more so, um, you know, as a lawyer, it's easy to just sit on your butt all day and, right. and on the weekend, just want to relax. But um, you got to really get out there. It makes you feel better. I've also been like everybody else in the world, picking up pickleball and, and I've mm-hmm. always been good at racket sports. So I'm, I'm a beast at pickleball. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't really, LA is one of those towns where where it's like you kind of have you either you have to go outside. There's no excuse because it's always nice out. So you, exactly. you have to you have to be active. Some even though some people are like LA is lazy, which it is. You know, there's, there's a lot of laziness in LA. Like you see the the aspect, the lazy act, but it's a very it's chill but active. I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's got that no, chill you're, but you're, act. you're on you're on point. You're on point. Like I mean, there's yeah. There, I mean, you'll see hundreds of people um, at Runyon Canyon, but you know, like half of them will just be there taking Instagram. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. No, yeah, no. Right? Yeah. That, hey, that's but, why you know, look like some, they might be getting their content. They might be doing it for their job. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. They might be sponsored by Nike. So they're trying out the new kicks on yeah. running. They're like, God bless, you know, do your thing. Yeah, Influencer, yeah. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I, when I lived in LA, I avoided running. I always go, went to the wisdom tree. Right, right, right. Yeah. Cause, well, cause there's no stopping there. You just got to keep going up and up and up and up. <laughs> right. You can't, you can't, you can't stop. No, you might, 
That's a, that's a hike, man. That's a hike right there. But once you get up to the top, it's super rewarding. You're looking mm-hmm. out at the reservoir and you, you know, you got to go take the American flag picture and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but then you can also go, like, if you go an extra 20 minutes, you, you can end up behind the Hollywood sign. Right. Crazy. Yeah. So it's like an, oh, it's like an hour and a half worth of hike, which is, yeah, worth it's, it. it's, a, it's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of music, if your life had a soundtrack, which three tracks would you pick? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's so that's really, really difficult. Like, just like the cop out answer when, you know, I like all music. I really do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really don't know. I mean, that's the hard. If you had sent me that question in advance, I still wouldn't have an answer for you. But yeah. I will tell you that my most played artist of 2022 is not somebody that I um, that I represent, but somebody who works very closely with one of my clients, um, FKJ. And and the mm. reason why I really like FKJ is just because he's um, he's just a multi instrumentalist. So the the vision behind his songs is just really insanely um, amazing. And and then his live performances and there's one that he did in these like I think it was in Bolivia like these salt flats, these famous salt flats that look like he's like walking on water. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that performance by him, have you seen that before the YouTube? Mm-hmm. No, I okay. You should. you have got to check it out. Put it on in the background. He's out there playing this show by himself on this platform in the middle of these salt flats. So again, it looks like he's in the middle of the water, and the sun sets gradually throughout his performance. It's just it's insanely cool. So I personally like you know I love all my clients' music. I I actually really listen to all my clients' music and really dive into things. And part of my the best part about my job, or one of the best parts about my job, is that. I get to hear music before you and everybody else, you know, it's really cool to feel special and be blessed that way. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I don't know, like I, but in my day to day when I'm working and stuff, I kind of have just like background instrumentalists, like jazz, like a lot of lo-fi stuff these days. Right. I wouldn't say that that's the soundtrack to my life, but that's like, that's kind of my vibes when I'm just on a chill. And then, and then again, like my, I play my clients music. Like I'm, I'm so happy Mm -hmm. and grateful to be Mm -hmm. able to say that the majority of what I listen to is like either that instrumentalist lo-fi or people I represent. Mm, See, and you mentioned like the lo-fi situation. You just reminded me of Moby, which I've had the pleasure of interviewing a long time ago. Yeah. And I, I didn't have that question at that. I didn't add that question yet to my talking points. Yeah. It was actually right after him. I was like, I should probably, because he, he was talking about like the soundtracks to his life, the, what moved him throughout his life. What did it, and I was like, I should probably add that type of question in my, my thing. So shout out to Moby for, for, you shout know, out to Moby, the shout legend, out to Moby, so. legend, you know, you should definitely right. check out his uh, restaurant. It's a vegan restaurant. I forgot what it's okay. called. Nice. What it's called. But it's like, it's, it's a very, it's a very good restaurant and him, him personally, he's, he's just, He's just so down to earth, very chill, very calm, easy to talk to. His documentary, Moby Doc, is very cool as well. Definitely, definitely check that out. Nice. Uh, very cool. I will. Yeah, because he's related to the author that wrote Moby Dick. That's oh, okay. Why, no that's way. Why it's, that's Herman why it's, Melville? Yeah, uh, I think, yeah. Melville, yeah. Yeah, he's related to him. That's why, that's why his, his name is Moby. You just happen to say a uh, uh, an author that I could uh, you know look like a scholar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's yeah. cool. I I didn't know that correlation. Yeah, that's so that's why the that's why the al- that's why the documentary is called Moby Doc instead of Moby Dick. <laughs> so, of course so it's, it is. It's really cool, right. and it's not it's not like one. It's a very it's a cartoonish kind of documentary. It's not that like 
interviewee documentary. Right. Like he tells his story through through um through cartoonish. It's very cool. Right. Moby um, Doc, the great bald whale. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, you are completely referral based, obviously, as I mentioned earlier. Yep. Uh, what are some advice you have for those up and coming lawyers trying to get to that point like you have? Because obviously it took a while for you to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so I always, you know, I get asked this question quite often. I do a lot of speaking at law schools and I always say the same thing. My path is unique. Don't try to mimic someone's path. I think that you find your own path. You know, mm -hmm. um, some people are better suited to go and they like the comfort and the security of going and working for a firm where their bosses have business coming in and they can field and send them stuff to do on big name clients that they wouldn't otherwise be exposed to at that stage of their careers. And so that's a really cool way to get in. Um, you know, and then also a lot of those people that have worked and come up through the firm life, then go and start their own thing or like get laterally move and, you know, have a bigger position and then they grow to be like that boss. Right. Mm -hmm. um, my path was, pretty different than that. And I started working for some people and they were amazing people. And, you know, I wasn't really cut out to be working for them. <laughs> so right. like, I, I just did it my way. So, um, I opened up my own shop and, and struggled a little bit in the first few years because I didn't have that business and whatever business I had wasn't at the level of like being able to pay for a bunch of stuff in Miami and, 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 you know, mm -hmm. maintain office and apartment and all that. So, um, I mean, my biggest suggestion would just be to get out there and get good experience. And while you're getting good experience, just get a, try to build a reputation of, of delivering, you know, being consistent, you know, mm -hmm. being, um, being zealous, but, you don't, you don't need to be an asshole in this business. Like, you know, I've never understood that. Like you can, right. you can get stuff done and build with people. I don't see any of my fellow attorneys as competition. Um, right. If somebody decides to go with one of them over me, that's that artist's choice for whatever, you know, mm -hmm. here, for whatever reason he or she has. And, and that's fine. Right. And so I see, mm -hmm. I see my fellow attorneys and my colleagues as collaborative partners and people that I can lean on and rely on to, to help me if I absolutely needed it. And I'm so blessed. Like I've got, you know, Randy Acker and Renee Carillion and Josh Kamen and mm -hmm. Adam Zia and a bunch of just friends of Mike Galgus and a bunch of friends of mine who are six, very successful attorneys who take time out of their days right. to answer questions for me like often. So, you know, um, I would say again, like coming full circle back to your question is just getting out there, getting known, but getting known in a good way. Mm -hmm. Nurturing the relationships in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Now towards the end of the podcast, I have these 10 rapid questions that I got from actor studios as I honor its host, James Lipton inside the actor right. studios as I honor right, right. It's James Lipton. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it. Of course. Um, the first question is what is your favorite word? excited what is your least favorite word no what turned you on in life music <laughs> what turns you off in life negativity what sound or noise do you love a piano what sound or noise do you hate Traffic. <laughs> so I lay. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite curse word? Fuck. 
Mm. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Rockstar. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Behind the scenes pencil pusher. What if, and the last one is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did good, Matt. There you go. Any last words you'd like to give to the people? Any shout outs and where can they follow you on the social? Yeah, I mean, shout out to my family uh, who helped really encourage me to get here. Shout out to my wife who is just super patient with my moodiness and, and dealing with clients constantly <laughs> and just such a rock for me. Um, shout out to all my colleagues who, who helped me along the way and who continue to. And um, uh, follow me on Instagram. That's pretty much my main handle or main platform. And it's at Matt Buser ESQ, M-A-T-T-B-U-S-E-R-E-S-Q. Perfect. All right, guys, this is another episode of the Mar and Ham Show featuring Matt Buser. Peace. Thank you.